0: Hi everyone, this is Anoki here. I'm the curator of Siberia, the design and technology festival at Tifa Working Studios. For this series of podcasts, we would like to experiment with the virtual space of video games. The aim is to lay a foundation for experimentation through play, using key principles from game design like interaction, world building fictional narratives, character design, aesthetics, and the new technology that is being used to create these things. Hi, everyone. So today we have a very special guest with us. Um, Hi, Provides. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Anoki. Hi. How are you doing?
1: It's great. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about all the interesting things that you're doing and you're working on currently? Yes, hi everybody,
1: hi listeners. Um, I am Professor Ng. I was trained as an architect and a researcher, mainly work in interdisciplinary research that transfer different knowledge between disciplines. Um, Mainly, I think about how these theories can be channeled into design. I have spent time in Russia, Germany, London, and Hong Kong. So it's not just cross-disciplinary exchange, it's also cross-cultural exchange. Currently I am teaching at the Bartlett School of Architecture and I'm also running some independent research. Some of them are on topics like world building um, or designing to facilitate decentralized communication platforms, um, design for media, for renewable energy like solar power. So AI is deeply embedded in most of the projects. For instance, We use AI to fill in gaps for human imagination as a form of creativity or we use AI to personalize within a large scale information system and think about how we can automate systems and relieve ourselves
0: from boring and repetitive work within design. Oh, that sounds like a lot of things and like so much fun. I have a few topics in mind that I would like to talk about today. Um, since we both have our roots in architecture, and also that's how we know each other, um, yes. I would like to start with that. I'm curious to know what kind of problems in architecture are being tackled currently using AI.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So AI is used to tackle one of the most fundamental problems of architecture history. Um, is how to actually take some information in two dimensions and then translate that into a volumetric um, object. So into three dimension. One of the ways we can do that is with AI, which can process 2D data like images, floor plans, arranging different units of space into a coherent building, et cetera. We also have the application of AI within 3D. And think about if AI can also make some of this translation between 2 and 3D.
0: I think a very good example that I've recently seen and that comes to my mind is the chair project by Stephen Weiss. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, that that's actually a very, very excellent example. So, yes, people are combining different styles of chairs and then asking the AI to learn that a certain object is a chair. So that is a new autonomy created in 3D chair design, but right now, our computational capacity is still low. Where if we are to process a large amount of 3D object, it's super difficult, it's computationally expensive. So this is where the opportunity for us as designer comes in, is that human and machine, we can collaborate. So some things AI is less good at doing, human can help, and vice versa. Um, For instance, in a chair example, the AI is better at processing 2D images, where humans are very good at spotting depth within an image and can train the AI for that. At the same time, the image, the chair image, the AI output, human can reconstruct them in three dimension.
0: I think we'll come to this a little bit ahead, but I think another idea that I want to talk about that intrigues me when I when it comes to like visual design in AI mm-hmm. and like two D image processing is is the idea of the
1: style transfer. Yes. Yeah, so I talked about styles of chair. So the idea of AI transferring style actually comes from computer graphics community where Mm -hmm. they are modeling um, different objects and then they have to imitate or mimic very organic or biological forms like human skins, um, textures on a plant. So they were thinking of smart ways, how you can have, texture from an organic entity and map that onto a 3D digital model. So this is the idea that gave birth to transferring style. It initially started off as a modeling technique or an algorithm like image processing and that was being expanded and experimented in architecture. So for instance, how can you have AI transferring between different building skins onto a volumetric object or transferring between um, building styles onto one another.
0: Do we know of any examples where this is already happening or like a place where this research is going on?
1: Yeah, well, if we look into SciArc um, in the mm-hmm. US, they have a lot of um, great projects on this. Um, one of which is David Ruey studio where they use AI to process 2D images of buildings and then find a contemporary interpretation of Classical architecture using AI.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's transferring the cell between classical architecture and contemporary architecture. However, in this particular example, the AI hasn't achieved a level where it can automate the volumetric um, construction of the building itself. So what they do is that they compose the image between different data sets and have this, um, the designer build the 3D model from the image. So it's kind of creating this collaboration between human and machine.
0: This, this collaboration between human and machine is one of the most interesting things probably about when it comes to AI. Or let's say, let's call it cybernetics. I want you to tell our listeners a little bit more about cybernetics.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, cybernetics, it's very, very important to be discussed um, within the field of AI. First, it partly inspire the current form of neural network artificial inter- uh, neural network that we actually have um, and secondly, mm-hmm. because it inspired our internet or we call the cyberspace we did not call it cyberspace by accident is actually originated from the idea of cybernetics so for both parts it is inspired by cybernetics in the sense of feedback so today we hear a lot of ideas about feedback no matter if it if it is from a digital platform or it's like Google asking you to give feedback by filling a forum or something. So this idea of feedback is actually from cybernetics where it's thinking about how one entity communicates with another, but the communication mm-hmm. doesn't end there, where the other entity would put the information back into the first entity. So it's a feedback loop between input and output. So this idea we can see in AI where different neural networks feedback into each other, For instance, when we were looking at the image processing of style transfer that we were discussing earlier, it's actually two neural network feeding into each other. So we Mm -hmm. also see this in the internet where different users feed back into each other, like in digital platforms. So this actually formed a basis of everything that we're using. And we don't even notice it because it has become an idea so common that it is deeply embedded in every aspect of our daily lives.
0: It's, it's interesting that we talk about it like this, that a human computer or human machine interaction is about feedback. But I'm also curious to know, like, how did these ideas generate or like where do they originate from?
1: Yeah, like history is very interesting for me because it's his story. So today I would like to tell a story about three characters Mm -hmm. so then we can get a fuller picture of where you know ai actually comes from
0: okay go for it
1: the first guy i'd like to introduce is obviously claude shannon (laughs) because without him we would not be able to quantify information the way that we're doing today so claude shannon is the hero in enabling digital communication for all of us and the concept is that he used The concept he used in formulating information, for instance, encoding or compression or bandwidth, some of the words we are familiar with, is actually coming from him.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So after having the ability to quantify information, the second person we have to talk about is actually Marvin Minsky. He was the guy that worked in the MIT lab and was one of the first guys who actually wrote a paper on steps towards artificial intelligence in 1956. So he was the guy who proposed that if we want to have a form of intelligence, it should be able to become an expert system where it Mm -hmm. is knowledge-based, it knows how to tackle specific tasks, and secondly, it has to be able to search from Mm -hmm. a database of knowledge. So during the process of reasoning, it has to be able to search for knowledge and Mm -hmm these very familiar ideas of every digital tools that we're using today is actually originated from him. But um, AI did not come solely from him because the technical part to which machines can actually think needs the very, very important component that I was talking about right now, which is feedback. So if the machine thinking process is completely linear, then it would not be able to accumulate memory and thus be able to think. So the third guy that I would like to introduce is the father of cybernetics, Norbert Wiener, who um, who who coined the idea of feedback um, within human machine interactions. And the reason why he actually called it cybernetics might help us understand what he meant by feedback. So he was looking into history and he was looking into bolts where he imagined a sheep captain standing on a boat and he was trying to steer his sheep amongst waves to a certain point in the ocean, for instance, to an island. The way he does it, it's not linear because if you drive your boats in a linear way, it will go in another direction because of the waves. So our environment Mm -hmm. is a complex systems with unpredictable factors. So then he observed that actually the captain, a human has to make a decision iteratively. So he will have to look at the surface of the ocean and then see Mm -hmm. what's coming out of his decision and then adjust his discourse accordingly. So it becomes an iterative thinking. And then Mm -hmm. Weiner also realized in Greek, such form of steering was called cybernetic and he thus came up with the term cybernetics which described this human machine feedback system and I think that works pretty well because now we're calling cyber attacks cyberspace cyber everything even Siberia yo yo <laughs> so in his book that was published in cybernetics the subtitle was called and um, communication in the animal and the machine so this kind of steering process is actually a form of control, but this control is enabled by communication. Mm-hmm. That's why in technology or computer science nowadays, you would hear a lot about control theory, which is exactly about information communication and this idea of feedback
0: that's so cool. This mm-hmm. is like a story within a story. Within yeah, a story. yeah, story
1: within a story <laughs> within a story. Oh, but um, actually, I should also say that the heroes of AI does not limit to these three people. But yeah, they are. Yeah, the I mean, it's today.
0: Yeah. a small history lesson. Yeah. Um, but I'm also curious, like, so cybernetics is like a new word that we use nowadays, or we kind of say cyber for everything, which is basically this human machine communication feedback or interaction. But what like what is happening in cybernetics nowadays and what stage are we at? Yeah, I, I think cybernetics
1: from the forties, fifties, sixties until nowadays, it has definitely evolved a lot and One of the things that we can look at is called Free Energy Principle in Neuroscience. Um, Mm -hmm. It's actually by Carl Friston, also in UCL, where he talks about a cybernetic system beyond pure communication at the present tense. So he is talking about our future and how the future and the present feedbacks into each other. So they communicate between each other and Mm -hmm. how we can predict using this information feedback between different times. So it sounds like a little sci-fi movie, but it's actually more basic than that. It's asking the question of what is intelligence? Mm -hmm. So he observed that when we talk about intelligence is the capacity to predict, for instance, human intelligence is super fascinating and amazing in that, for instance, when we're thirsty, we would imagine ourselves drinking water And then if we feel like this kind of future where we drink water is desirable, then we would actually go and grab a glass of water. Another example would be when we go to bed, we might imagine ourselves going to the office the next day, what kind of conversation we have to deal with with our bosses and stuff like that. So that's exactly imagining the future. This kind of very instinctive and subtle thinking that we have every day. We cannot exactly prove that it happens in animals or plants. Mm -hmm. Um, So our science thinks that for now, this is a very unique kind of intelligence and that if we want to make an artificial intelligence, it will have to have the same conception or principles, be able to predict and be able to self-motivate and self-learn. So that's Mm -hmm. the free energy principle. However, the free energy principle doesn't stop at that. It's not it's not just theoretical explanation. It actually uses equations and algorithms to capture these kind of feedback processes within the future and the present. So we're able to compute them as an AI algorithm.
0: I, I actually enjoyed when we talked about this the last time. You said how the idea is basically how the feedback is between our future and how the future communicates with the present communicates with the past communicates with the present and that i think that is such a I, I know it sounds like a sci-fi but it's uh it's one of the cool algorithm ideas uh that i that i find very interesting but a little bit more on uh, ai and algorithms i think i would also uh, like to move the conversation on the idea of the uncanny value and Like, what is the idea and where this whole idea of simulated worlds came from?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very smart and instinctive um, to build the connection between Uncanny Valley and AI. It's actually not just an ethical problem. It's actually also a simulation problem. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, when we talk about gaming as a form of simulated worlds, there are largely two categories we can say. So one type of game tries to trick your mind into believing that it's a real world. Another type of game doesn't do that. It tries to build another world that's completely different to our real world. So in both kinds of worlds, there is a way of quantifying how real and unreal the worlds are. And scientists have named this the uncanny valley. So it mm-hmm. takes the form of a V-shape, so that's why it's like a valley. Mm-hmm. At one end of the spectrum, you have totally uncanny things where it looks very, very similar to human, to the real world, but our brain is not convinced. So we think that there is something very, very strange and very scary. If we mm-hmm. think about everything we have imagined about ghosts or zombies or everything that really scares us, they look like they don't look like dogs or square or a circle. It looks something that is highly resembling human, but it's not quite human. Mm -hmm. So if you have that, it becomes uncanny. So that's actually from psychology in the 20th century by Sigmund Freud. Um, At the other end of the spectrum, we have something abstract, like a circle which completely doesn't look like a human. It can give you a sense of cuteness, of comfortness, one of the reasons is that it's so different from you
0: that's that's super interesting i just i want to talk a little bit also about real and unreal games
1: yeah yeah so i think ai has immense potential to be applied in both type of games for instance in a real world game it's more obvious because you would have computer intelligence that can interact with you in a gaming world as much as another human would be able to interact with you so you can have multiple characters filling the world, making a single player game that lasts Mm -hmm. longer or long, or you can have multiple agents filling the world, making a multiplayer game more competitive. So there are two, so these are two of the ways that AI can be used. In the very, very unreal worlds, you can also use AI, but maybe they reside more into the back end where it generates totally different worlds than humans for you.
0: Yeah, and I feel like this kind of idea is being very much translated in our gaming world nowadays. Uh, but we also have like the idea of finite games and infinite games.
1: Yeah. Finite games are world-building by the designers, but infinite games need feedback between users and the designers. So they are collaboratively building the world. For instance, in chess or football, there is a goal to the game where the goal is to win it and end it. But in an infinite game like Monopoly or in politics, the goal is to continue playing. So Mm -hmm. one of the keys to have an infinite game is to build a narrative within the worlds. If we look at the example of GPT-3, which is a generative pre-trained transformer that can generate language according to your input, it's used a lot by Google and other digital platforms that use natural language processing. So just imagine if we build up the capacity of AI in responding to generative narrative together with us, then we can have all, all sorts of infinite games where the rules of the games keep changing according to our response.
0: I, I, I want to talk about an example that I used to keep playing with a long time back. Uh, there's a site called Talk to Transformers, which I think uses the GPT-3 format. And it's basically that you type a sentence and the AI kind of completes it for you with giving you different outputs. And it's actually one of a cool tools where you can use AI to generate unique narratives and kind of not have control in a way. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with these ideas, but I, I also want to know what is the difference between like procedural generation or versus AI and gaming?
1: Yeah, because gaming has a lot of 3D data. So procedural processing, sometimes they are not fast enough for everything mm-hmm. in a 3D world. If we have to build the game for the player inside, but with AI, it enables the feedback loop. So the game mm-hmm. can build the more time the user interacts with the worlds. And also because AI can self-learn, so then it can save a lot of runtime. So procedural processing um, and different types of AI is good at different things. We can build half the worlds with procedural processing beforehand so that we can have a basis to work on, like a system to work on, and then we can leave half of the system blank where AI would interact with the users and together they can complete the worlds. So I don't think it's an either or problem between algorithms. It's more like, how can we define a task? And then we distribute the work um, by posing the right question to different algorithms.
0: Yeah. I think we, we've we covered the idea of AI and world building or AI and interactivity in creative uh, situations very well. Um, just a very random question. What do you think like a predictive game would look like?
1: Predictive game. <laughs> yes, it's actually not that difficult. I think predictive game is everywhere in our world because human has the ability to predict. So for instance, if we look at the financial market, it's already itself a predictive game.
0: More mm-hmm. specifically,
1: if we look at futures market, options market, well, that for sure is a predictive game. I guess recently we have the news from GameStation where Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, they organize, they self-organize themselves via feedback on Reddit, and then they predict information, and then they realize the information within the financial market. So that's definitely a sort of predictive game.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's a great answer, actually. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit about this interesting concept I read. When I was reading a book on AI and creativity, it's it's Pixar, how they use the idea of the fractals, or they created this fractal engine to create visuals for their films. And apparently this is now used to create special effects, uh, including like fictitious landscapes and imaginary worlds.
1: Yeah, so fractal engines... They were used to create characters to convince mm-hmm. our brain in thinking that they are real organic yeah. objects. So for instance, in Star Wars, porks only exist because of Star Wars. So when they were shooting Star Wars, they were they wanted to go to this island to film. And then there mm-hmm. were a lot of birds like Puffin on the island where they are filming and it's just impossible to make them go away. But obviously, you cannot have Puffin on another planet that is not Earth. So they had to sort of replace the animal with some alien creature um, with very realistic organic details. So the detail of the porks, which is the animated creature, is made by fractal Engines.
0: Yeah, and I think I also read that it was digitally more difficult to get rid of the Puffins so it was more important to use an, another form of digital design to kind of create a new form of animal or bird uh, for this shot, and that's how the porks existed, which is, which is so great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love.: them. I, think, so
1: cute.
0: I think that's kind of all the informative questions I have. I, I think uh, I would like to talk to you about a little bit about your current projects and also where I could go look at them.
1: Yeah, so my current projects, there are two current projects. The one of, one of the project is Project Current, oh. which stands at the <laughs> convergence between AI image processing, livestream economy, photometric cinema, and personalized narrative. So we have a 12-minute speculative cinema that illustrate what this future might look and feel like, where we're able to have a participatory pipeline with human and AI in the same pipeline for design, so feel I free. I think to we f-
0: also yeah. we also had it at Siberia last year.
1: Oh yes, oh, yes we did. But the project has evolved a lot since 2019, yeah. and we're preparing something for 2021 as well. So, stay tuned if you want to see our Phala-O-Metric cinema. You can visit us at www.current.cam, c a m cam. Yeah, so. Also, I mentioned earlier, I've done some projects on renewable energy and solar energy. So another one of the projects is an applied one that thinks about an information theory approach to bio design where AI is used to predict and preempt energy demands within a city context. So you can also visit that project on our Instagram page, R.E.A.R underscore underscore or you can just go to my Instagram page at P-R-O-V-I-D-E-S dot ism.
0: I'll make sure to add the links below for the info of the podcast. Yes um, I, will. <laughs> I I'm gonna go check them out. I think I already follow your page but I haven't seen the r dot e dot ar underscore <laughs> yes go and subscribe. Um, Another thing provides, you've been working and living all over the world. I think from the time I met you, you've probably moved to four different cities. It's
1: a very, very long friendship,
0: yes. <laughs> what are, I'm, I'm also curious to know the kind of media or futuristic ideas that influence you when you're so much around the world and like having access to different cultures and different institutes also, right? Just out of curiosity, do you want to recommend some books or sort of digital media to me and our listeners?
1: Yes, well, since I'm Chinese, I'm going to recommend some Chinese sci-fi. Yes, go for it. (laughs) Yeah, so a very good one that engaged in world building, which synthesized between physical knowledge and our imaginary is the three-body problem. So I really love the sci-fi because it The author was actually originally a physicist and an engineer. So he is very proficient at science knowledge. So for instance, in the story, he would discuss what is actually intelligence. So he used knowledge from the Kardashev scale, which is measuring intelligence level as a civilization. And then Mm -hmm. he would formulate, you know, how we are able to harvest energy according to our mm-hmm. intelligence scale and then these ideas were synthesized with his imaginative worlds within a three-body problem so it gives us a sense of uncanny like this feeling of well this future might actually happen um, in terms of academic application we can look at the Straka Institute we actually has a project on Kardashev scale so yeah th- mm-hmm. these are some interesting sci-fi inspired by physics inspired um, projects and books
0: and obviously I would also like to ask you what books you recommend for getting more insight into the current state of AI because the field is so progressive and is on such a rapid uh, like growth that I feel like most of the books that I probably go looking for they're already outdated so maybe something that you could recommend that me and our listeners could read when somebody wants more insight about what's happening in AI right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean a book on AI is hard because it's very current, it's very contemporary, and it's always evolving. So it's you know, it, it takes time to publish and it's it's very hard to have like a book with every kind of AI insight but I would definitely recommend, okay, now it sounds like advertising, but I really love this book from John Bachman. Um, It's called Possible Minds, like 25 ways of looking at AI. So he invited 25 authors from fields of art to science to describe their understanding in artificial intelligence, especially in the history. So it's very interdisciplinary. It's also very intercultural per se. Brockman himself have worked with people like Minsky, but at the same time, he sort of revenge the history of cybernetics and discuss the cybernetic significance in the development of AI, for instance, feedback and stuff. So I can, you know, wh- one of the chapters I really, really enjoyed is this chapter by David Kaiser. So he basically mm-hmm. talks about how information is defined and quantified differently for Claude Shannon. Um, for Wayner and then for us nowadays as users of big data and so on and so forth so get this book I think it's really worth it. it came out in 2020 so it's quite a contemporary book
0: okay definitely gonna go get myself a copy that's all I think thanks so much for all the info bro it was great to have you with us at TIPA today it's great um, to talk thanks. to
1: you Anoki always always very exciting
0: Thank you so much and we'll be in touch. Have a great day. Have a great day everyone. Bye. Bye. The programming you just heard was brought to you by Tifa Working Studios, a contemporary art space located in Pune. To know more about Tifa, please go to tifastudios.in. Our special thanks to Provides NG for being the guest on this episode and the content for this episode was designed and executed by Anoki Shah. The music for the episode was provided by Siddharth Merchant aka Triggerfish.wood and it was edited by
1: Anuj Nakade. Thank you for tuning in.